Welcome back to Tales from the Subterranean Playground, brought to you by Immersify Recording Services, LLC. I'm your host, Mark Allen J. In this episode, I chat with John Churchville, an educator, musician, composer, and producer living in the Ann Arbor area. This episode is a bit longer than usual, so I've decided to break it up into two halves within the same show. The front half deals with John's role as a music instructor of several years who's been using Soundtrap, a digital audio workstation that features interactive tools for collaboration, to teach his elementary students music. He first did this in a private school, and now he does it in the Ann Arbor public school system. When he first learned of the program, back around 2016, Soundtrap was just gaining traction. And we'll hear how John's use of the software essentially paralleled the development, growth, and popularity of the software itself. This is really one of those right time, right place kind of stories. The back half features John explaining some of the sonic elements of the tabla and baya drums. These are typically used in the music of India. However, there's a bit of a crossover here in that he also gives us a quick lesson on the voicings of the tabla and baya, as well as a short piece that he improvised during our discussion. If you dig music, education, and the use of clever, creative technology to help influence young, creative minds, then I think you'll dig this episode. Let's not waste any more time and just jump right in. Here we go. How many years? What was it? Do you remember the year that you and I first met? It must have been, um, well, it was one of my first concerts as a music teacher that I had produced myself. So it must have been like 2008 or 2009. That sounds right. Wow. Because uh, all this stuff is set up. Then I get to the show. You came in Mm -hmm. and started setting up equipment. And that's that's when I was like, what is this? And I right. came up to the head, and that's when we met. I remember. Yeah. Since you were essentially there providing musical tutelage, and Sarah benefited from that, when Sarah was small, I made it a point to play everything I could think of, just throwing it so that it was kind of like constantly there. So it was a delight for me when at Go Like the Wind, you know, she would sing and, and such. And then later, when she went to Huron, when she sang choir, because I got to take the mannequin head to Rome. I recorded the choirs. Oh, that was in Rome. Wow, In yeah. Rome. And I had to schlep that mannequin head around Rome. And I and it was harrowing because I had about seven minutes to set up. I ended up benefiting from it because of that experience in Rome. Sarah ended up doing Future Stars show. At Pioneer High School? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the cool thing is our paths have kind of... Uh, crossed over the years we seem to kind of you know not see each other for a while and then somehow some project or some discussion or something kind of brings us back together which is really great but what I really wanted to talk with you about is this idea of the collaborative process using essentially a, a digital audio workstation that is tweaked sure so actually this goes back 2000 16 or 17, I went to a conference at 
New York University Impact Conference, and Impact stood for oh my gosh, like um, immersive arts and cultural something. Impact. It was a, the impact of of the arts and how we can be more impactful in the education side of things. So so how can we reach more people through arts education? And it was at the Music Experience Design Lab at NYU, started by Alex Ruthman, Dr. Alex Ruthman, who went to U of M. It was a small little conference at the time. It, it was just like, I think it was the first one uh, that they had. And and I went there and presented on 10 years of creating music. And, and my presentation was about how, as the technology changed, how our processes changed and how the students, their creativity and their ability to create changed. And so it was from the first song that I recorded with students, the Go Like the Wind song, mm-hmm. uh, that became the song for Go Like the Wind uh, for over a decade. Are you getting royalties for that? <laughs> I'm waiting on the check, but yeah, there's, <laughs> it's all it's all lined up. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so from that song where I had um, little two channel interface and. I plugged a SM57 in one side and an SM57 in the other side. And so one side was facing me and the guitar and the other side was facing the students. And that's how we recorded the Go Like the Wind song. It's those two mics. And uh, recorded that whole first album with those. And so I played that. And then I went through the years and said, and then we got an influx of cash and I got a Digio 3 board. And it was like, I was going through, like we got Pro Tools, we got uh, some nice condenser microphones. And, yes. and then I went through and played how the music had changed and how it's increased and got better and how this started inspiring the students more and more and more. Hmm. So that's my whole presentation was like all of this like kind of journey of 10 years. It, I was very reflective at the time because mm-hmm. 10 years is like a big deal in your life when you start doing something of you course. know yeah and um and so these guys in the back that watch the presentation they're like you must come see uh soundtrap this sounds perfect for what you're doing and and so i went to their session and it was amazing they were like look you can do you can collaborate you can do all of this stuff like they said imagine uh garage band meets uh, Google Drive. You can collaborate. You can make all these sessions and bring your friends into them. You can video conference while you're there and talk about it. There's a chat bar in the side. You can put comments above the spots in the audio. There's a little ruler for comments, which is is brilliant. And then uh, look over and see where exactly you're talking about or just listen. It it was just amazing. Multi-track audio and um i mean you could you can do uh two tracks one at a time into it so you could do two record two separate inputs all online into the internet and and just when you hit save you got to be on the internet for a while right you know as it as it makes sure it gets it all and it doesn't like you going past 15 minutes of recording at a time right you know there's limitations there's there's all of these you know you start discovering those as you do with any program Mm -hmm. uh and and hopefully your limitation you discover is you (laughs) so soundtrap it was run at the time where i met uh his name was frederick posse he was he was a producer for Madonna. Now this was his other project and the other half, I, I never met his guy named Pear. And they came together to do this soundtrack idea. 
where it's like, let's for education purposes, let's bring this collaboration online to the next level. So you can actually do audio and, uh, and all of these things. And so they made Soundtrap. And when I met them, uh, I met Frederick and then I met a guy named Ashkan. Soundtrap was six people. There was like the coding guy and it was, and then there was the girl who was, they hired her after they asked some friends to use it. And she sent back this awesome song and they're like, Whoa, you need to work for us. And it was like that. It was like they were building a ship. And then suddenly Google gave them an award for the best online audio solution. And they got invited to Google's inner circle conference, which people don't get invited to. And, and suddenly just, it was like this, they hit something. Okay. So all of this, that's great. Everyone's got a story and I'm like, okay, cool. I see all the limitations here. Let me just see how this all plays. And they're like, Hey John, with what you're doing and all the stuff that you've been doing the students, we want to give you uh, 50 seats, you know, and just have your students use it. And so I went back to go like the win. We had like a couple months to use Soundtrap. So I opened it up for first grade through ninth or whatever. I got a call from Soundtrap a week later, like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, your students are just using their accounts all the time. It's like, it's amazing. And I guess I just, I'm letting them create. I'm giving them the time and they have the tools and we have... I was like, this is what we do. And now they have the ability to do it. And I didn't realize that the students started, this was a first for me. Now it's normal, totally normalized. But when I first started and I gave them all a Soundtrap, they were sharing stuff with me that they wanted to show me. But now Soundtrap was like, everybody gets Soundtrap. Everybody can use any computer anywhere. And so it was this great equalizer. And these students started sharing with me projects. But what I didn't realize was that they were making three times as many projects as they were sharing with me. Uh And that was when I was like, you're not sharing all the music you're making? And then I'm like, wait, no, this is what you want. This is what's supposed to happen. You know, so I was just like Soundtrap as they're building I'm like was building this understanding of what it meant to allow students to be creative Mm -hmm. and giving them it breaks down for me into three things, the tools, the time and the guidance. So you're like a guide, but you have to provide them time, solo time, you know, whatever you want to call it, like creative time to create however they're going to do it. And then you provide the tools and depending on how you present the tools, how you lay them out, the lessons that you give before or after, then they have this ability to either adopt what you're saying as a lesson and practice it as such, or they can say, Oh, that's nice. And go and create in some other realm that they've been discovering or they go. So that time is theirs. And as much as you, as a teacher, you can focus it in. You can never focus too much when people are in their own creative uh, flow those forces at work. And so giving that time and opening it up and having the tools there, this is like the beautiful thing that over the years of just making music with students helped me to discover. So Soundtrap is like, as far as I can tell, the best solution for this kind of application for it's like giving them a kitchen with all the tools and everything that they need some detraction I've heard mm-hmm. from from a program like Soundtrap is, oh, you get on it 
and they have a whole panel of thousands and thousands of loops, pre-recorded loops. And you can even pick a style of loops and all the loops sound plucked apart and kind of divvied up. And it's like ingredients, you know? Sure. It's like when you're giving the students all of these ingredients, how can you ever expect them to be able to learn how to play an instrument or what that means to make that sound? And that's the argument that I've heard mm. against like this kind of technology. But really, the way I look at it, if your students like Taco Bell, imagine if you gave them the Taco Bell kitchen to go use and they could put together their favorite Taco Bell thing whatever it might be, you know, mm -hmm. I'm picking Taco Bell because that's what I loved when I was like 15, 16 years old. That was like, I couldn't get enough, you know, and that would have been amazing to me <laughs> to go into a Taco Bell and have the restaurant, uh, the whole thing. Like I can make anything I want from Taco Bell, right? Sure. And, and you have all of that, but then also you can bring any ingredients you want in. You're learning how to use all the tools. You're learning how to craft something and how crafted things turn into something else mm. and and it's really the tool itself can become the instrument the the process of creating the process of doing something is really a process of finding a path of least resistance in a uh, conscious state of creation so you're moving forward knowing that you're creating something you may not know what that thing is mm -hmm. or what it looks like but you know that you're moving forward in it and so the moving forward part is really where the guidance comes in sure how do you help somebody move forward or how do you yourself move forward uh, through something you either seek out guidance or you provide guidance and those things I'm starting to see now so Fast forward now, uh, I am at a public school. I developed all these ideas at a nice private school with clientele who were very supportive, mm -hmm. And when, you, but they were clientele. They were the parents, were the clients. You know, there's a whole different dynamic there going on. I'm happy to report I'm in a public school s system now, and the students are the students. They're the same. They're like, they're young human beings who are as creative and as eager to express themselves as any students I've ever taught. Mm -hmm. There's no difference, which was really awesome. But now it's like what happens outside the doors of the school is very different for a lot of my students. They're challenged. And so bringing them in and giving them the space and the time, I've noticed that they're starting now to see this is theirs. They're taking ownership of it. It's like the, the students now they have they have this amazing tool. There's so much in comparison to what happens now. I'm at a, I'm at a high need school, so there's a lot of there's students in crisis. There's students who have you know they eat at school, and that's sometimes their only food. They're tired. There's all kinds of issues that they're dealing with. So when they get into the music room, we have this finite amount of time, giving them that time. I'm seeing them just latch into it and start to help each other and start to understand that this is theirs. This is the time that they they get to explore and without judgment, unless they want to be judged, they can say, I want you to play this and tell me how it is, you know, and some students are craving, they're starting to see that they need to know more to be able to move themselves forward, but they're doing it from their, their own 
reality, their own space, what what they're dealing with every day is coming out in an expression of their music. Uh-huh. And they're starting to see that here. It's you, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You talked about them owning it. That's the 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 point at which you want healthy ego. Ego can be positive or negative, right, depending on the context and yeah, yeah. how it's meted out. It seems to me like a way where people start to understand who they are and what they are, and they've got this structure where they can experiment. You know, the point you made earlier about one of the criticisms about there being so many loops, for example, to me, I don't see that as a detriment. And the reason I don't see it as a detriment is people learn all things at different speeds. It's like getting into a car without having to build the engine. Yeah. And for the other people who are more than willing to build the engine, that's great. That's where they're going to go within the discipline. That's where they're naturally going to go. It's a, it's a great way to expose young minds to something that's ostensibly nothing but a pure abstraction and take that abstraction and turn it into something concrete and turn it into something at the end of the day where they can say, I did that. Right. I wrote that. Or I sang that, or I did. I, I played the bass line. You like that walking? Bit? That was mine. I think that's got to feel so great, especially for those who maybe feel apart. You know, they feel set apart for whatever reason. And I can tell you too that it goes beyond even. That's my thing. That's this thing. But I make music. I'm a producer. I'm a beat maker. My friend is the rapper. Like they, they start to identify with the bigger context of what they're doing. It's not just the, the thing that they make. Like that's the first hmm. stages, right? Yes. They're like, now it's the thing that I do. You know, this is a thing that I do. And so if you need something. So I have around 250 students. Last year, their introduction to Soundtrap with me, I got uh, a thousand or so pieces of music that they created on Soundtrap. Wow. That's what they shared with me. So there's much more than that that they're creating themselves that of they're course. not sharing because that's the stuff that they really love. It feels great to me because it feels like the kind of homework a kid would want to do. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that I get the updates over every holiday break. It's like, oh, five students updated their projects because I get an update if I sure. want. You know, and Teachers, I've heard some teachers say, oh, my gosh, I couldn't handle it if I was getting updates. I'm like, no, these are different. This is not an update like somebody completed an assignment. Right. This is like somebody's creating music right now. You're getting dinged, and they, they're, they like, interested. So already <laughs> I've gotten – I have an email correspondence with a student who had to leave Ann Arbor, and he said, Mr. Churchville, I figured out how to get a Soundtrap account outside school, and so now I have one, and I want to share you some stuff. And this is a, a sixth grader, you wow. know? And and um, uh, when I told you about the the kind of arguments against this kind of tool, that was a while ago that I heard those. Now, I, after now I'm in my second year, I can tell you that what I'm seeing, like when they have this freedom to use this program, is there's the students who will record themselves singing. There's students who have created a podcast. Like they, they come and they do the intro and, you know, and then they figure out, oh, I need more to say. <laughs> and I need, but they have, they I have the idea. Like I can do a podcast now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then it's, and, uh, 
they're students who are creating through just writing MIDI notes mm-hmm. one at a time because mm-hmm. they're like that really into that click, 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 and just move them. They're students who are into affecting their voice. So like, oh, let me say this. And then when I slow it down or lower it five octaves, see what it sounds like. We, we had a student, you know, perfectly normal now for me to hear Mr. Churchfill in the hallway the other day. I am uh, creating a piece of music with my dog. That's great. She's like, I meant to share it with you. I'll share it with you tonight because I can't figure out the right beat. And I was like, okay, let's get to work. You know, like I love that everything about that that you just said. Yeah. And so she got her dog little, you know, just barking. And it's kind of, I can see she's, she, it was a beat that the dog made, but she just needed to, I showed her how to split, uh, you know, get audio right up to the transient. I taught her about the transients and you get it right up to there. Now line this up with the ruler that's up there and adjust the tempo. And now let's put a beat to this. And we like, boom, 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 boom. And in 10 minutes, I show her this little thing and she's looking with wide eyes. She's learning how to use this tool for a purpose that I could never assign. Right. How could I, you know, I could never assign, go find your dog and record it. And and so I'm finding all of these different ways of utilizing it are coming in as many personalities as there are students that I have. I mean, they're using it and so, one student is making all chaotic, crazy sounds, as crazy as he can make it sound. One student is is trying to find the limit of the program. He's trying to see how many tracks can he line up before it crashes. So he's just like doing this whole other test, mm-hmm. whole other, which some other students would just find that to be absolutely absurd. And all of this is happening in the same one class, the same group of students. If I were to, I love reporting on it, on what's happened. There's no way I can tell you how to make it happen other than you have to give the tools, you have to give the time, and you have to be willing to provide the guidance on how to quantize a dog, how to uh, push the chaos even further, mm-hmm. how to, you know, use panning to make it, you know, all of these little things. It's like these how-to guidances that I give, I never know at the beginning of the day what I'm going to have to show somebody. And I, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, the other day, just on Saturday, uh, I was able to sit, and talk about the Horns for the Holidays program and that whole idea of getting musical instruments refurbished, but still perfectly good musical instruments into the hands of children who aren't as fortunate. Yeah, sure. Right? Ken Gazzara. This This is another kind of democratization of music in a way because... If you have these things that exist within the DAW and essentially, because that's really what we're talking about is it's a DAW with other hooks in it to do other things. You're making a technology available to essentially anyone who can have some form of computer access. I think about the potential marriage of something like Soundtrap with these kids who are getting instruments who uh, otherwise could not have afforded them. And now what do they have in front of them? They have the ability to learn and make music with their own instrument. You can start off with a very simple dynamic microphone to do your rudimentary stuff. Yeah. But it's that it's like with any new thing that you learn, you take those first steps and you think, that's how I plug into an audio interface. That's how I do that. Okay. Yeah, my my favorite uh idea 
is proof of concept. You just need to prove the concept if it's to yourself or prove it to me that you know so I can let you use that piece of thing, you know, like prove to me you know how to unplug and plug in a USB cable. Proof of concept. But so the proof of concept as a teacher can work, but you have to always prove the concept to yourself before you understand how to move it forward. Something that I always make sure to do, a few times a month I will bring in something, like I played for you earlier, the uh, aluminum foil. Yes. So I'll bring in a recording of aluminum foil that I made with a piece of aluminum foil that came off a leftover dish, and I just I actually pressed it over my symbol so it looked like a symbol, and then I put it on a symbol stand and it just floated there. So I took that into the classroom, and I used a pen, a pen, and I went to their Chromebooks, their microphone on the Chromebooks, and we made a little sample out of tapping this piece of aluminum foil to say you don't need anything but a piece of aluminum foil. Is anyone, <laughs> you know, you could ask, uh, you could go get some of this almost anywhere, yeah. you know, and it's like go find a piece and then you can make a bit of music with it. And it's just giving them that, like, you don't need all of this. You just need enough in your imagination and capture it. it really, for me, that whatever technology goes out there, as long as somebody can capture what they're doing in some way, they capture it and listen back to it. That's like the deep listening is what teaches you music. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and if you figure out, like, that's a, a nice obvious one in music because we spend all our time crafting every moment and ev- all the inside, outside, up and down, back and front. Like, we craft every bit of that space as a musician. And so all you need somebody to do is listen. And the deeper they listen, the more they will hear and the... And they may interpret it a different way or it may strike them different, but it will elicit something Mm -hmm. in them. That's what I'm trying to teach students how to do is just listen to everything. (laughs) Listen. That's pretty great advice. Uh, Yeah. Actually, I mean, just listen to everything. It's true. Yeah. And if you're speaking, you can't listen. I, I even tell them, and it resonates with them because they know what this is and what there's something deeper to this thing that is happening automatically you know there what what's deeper about it every time they walk in we listen to something and what i say is and i make more observations than anything where i say if you're talking you can't be listening really listening and whoever can hear you can't really listen so we really can't make any sound when we're listening and then i tell them if you feel something, if you feel something and it makes you very excited, you can feel that and you should feel that and you should remember that feeling, but you can't express it while you're listening. You have to remember that feeling so you can go back to that moment and understand how it was made and why it made you feel like that and you'll be able to make something that makes you feel like that. It's like almost this uh, clinical approach to creativity Mm -hmm. where it's like we need to really listen and feel clinical and holistic, I suppose. Because you need to be calm, you need to be quiet, you need to have the stimulation all come down so you can really get in there and get in touch with what this is bringing out in you. At the elementary school level, it's just like observing how we're not listening very well or it's impossible to do it, but those observations are where we're starting. Today, I was playing a song And a girl was sitting, she put her feet out, she put her hands upside down so she wouldn't move, and she closed her eyes, 
and she listened. And at the end, I said, what did you hear? She closed her eyes to answer. She said, I heard a voice. I heard an instrument that sounded like a spring. I heard a, uh, and she just went through, closed her eyes and said, and everyone was quiet and listening to what she was saying. Cause she heard, everybody heard the same thing, but she went deeper and she showed everyone. And she did that by the way, with other students making noise and a few students are like, I couldn't hear nothing cause, cause he was talking, you know, like they take advantage of that, you know, like, okay, so let's try it again. And so we're trying this again and get deeper into the listening. Really what you're describing, you're, you're taking these students down uh, the path of truly active listening. And there is a big difference. You will find people in this world who treat music in a disposable, ephemeral sort of way. However, it's listening for the details, the subtlety, the things that give voice to the color of a piece. When you get kids thinking in those terms, even the concept of sampling the bit of foil on their their laptops, what that essentially conveys to them is this isn't really an instrument, but I've turned it into one. Now it is an instrument. That thermos, now that chair, that table leg, sure it can be an instrument. You know, sound designers who work in film and television, for example, they rely on that stuff all the time. Of course. And then, you know, play with them to change them, to, to bend them to their their will effectively. It's like a silly putty mind. You can stretch it pull it in these directions and suddenly it's it's now familiar. Yeah. That's the beauty of the creative process is you are limited only by the tools. What was the other one? The, the time and the guidance. And the guidance. Yeah. Like how what what is your guide? What are you looking for? But in the last like uh, 4 years or so I've been doing these presentations to music teachers all over the country with the mm-hmm. Bureau of Education and Research and what I tell these teachers is that we're lucky because we have the ability to show students, to give them identity, to give them voice, to to uh, level the playing field, to do all of these things, you know, equity and inclusion. If you're teaching somebody to listen and to have their own voice, you're teaching them how to include themselves in their own life. Include like you're including everything about what you are you're the subject matter here. Like it's a real flip of the idea of what we're doing as teachers. And the fact that we get to do it with music puts us at a great advantage because all teachers want to do this, but we get to do it with music. Something that these students have been, all of us have been developing our attitudes and opinions about since we were about 18 months where we started developing our opinions and ideas about music, those cultural things that happen and no better teacher than your mother's voice, you know, in those first 18 months. And then after that, the blitzkrieg of all the sounds, you know, like you were doing. And, yeah. you know, it was interesting back when you said that, like when you had your daughter and you were suddenly, it was like a project. You had to make it every sound that you played, all these things. I had, I went through that same thing when Charlie was born, my uh-huh. firstborn son, where, uh, my practice suddenly became way more important because I'm not just 
working something out with my hands or trying to figure out a musical idea for myself or exercise, I'm feeding him sounds and I'm feeding him the best of, and I always had this idea that I need to practice much, much better because he's listening. This little baby is listening, you know, and, and they're sponges. It's my responsibility to make sure that what goes in is good. I, I want him, you know, to understand and everything improved because he was my impetus to listen more, to be more present with what was happening. This is like a theme in all, like you say, like in not just music, but every other aspect of life. If you're tasting more, mindfully tasting a chip, mindfully tasting, you know, some broth or something, you, you taste it and you can, you know, wine, wine connoisseurs, just like the audio connoisseurs sure. will hear, you know, and so many descriptors that people use to describe things are musical descriptors, you know, and, and music has this... Uh, because the musical concepts, the descriptors get to a musical concept that can't be described. All right, let's change our compass heading, if only slightly. In this next segment, we learn about the tabla and baya and get to hear a short piece improvised by John. Before we do that, though, I wanted to mention that I'm going to revisit this conversation with John. The reason being, there's so much more great material in this interview. John had so many more insightful things to say, and I hate cutting it short simply for time, but that's what we have to do. So keep an eye out and your ears open for a future episode in which we revisit this conversation with John. In the meantime, let's get back to the back half of this interview. Let's listen in. The tabla represent this like ancient tradition of rhythm. Like there's this soupy gray aspect to it in the West. Well, the tabla kind of represent the richest and complex rhythmic histories on the planet. It's at the highest echelons of the classical music system in India. And everything about it, there's so much detail and heritage and, and provenance to what, what these drums can do and where they came from and the kind of music that they play. When I teach my classes, it's not all about creating so much as it is about finding the beauty of this instrument that has been studied and and developed for thousands of years. Uh, the tabla themselves are not over a thousand years old. They're about 500 odd years old, so relatively new in the world of Indian instruments. However, they're a new technology, so to speak, um, in that every sound that the drum makes has a specific word that corresponds to it. So when we learn how to play, we learn how to speak the language of the drum, the language of the rhythm. There's a language of the right hand, ta, tete, tu. There's a language of the left hand, gigi, cut. And then there's the language of the hands together. So a gi and a ta together are da, da. And so you learn to say the words, play them, and then put them together in bigger chunks. And then put those chunks together into phrases. And then those phrases turn into compositions. Those compositions have variations. The variations go on 
for for hundreds of variations and then all culminating in what's called a tihai, which it literally means three times. A phrase repeats three times that ends a musical idea or denotes a change in a musical idea. So all of it, right down to the granular, each sound has a purpose, has a, a literal word that goes along with it. These words are called the bowls. And so when we learn in class is we're really learning some finite technical control and skill in order to get to the most basic musical ideas. For example, when I'm playing a ta, this sound, it sounds beautiful. The drum rings out really nicely. I was at the shop to watch him make the drum. Amazing tradition, third generation maker that makes these drums, so they ring just right. But in order for them to ring just right, you have to have your ring finger in a certain place just resting on top of the head. It's just resting there, muting a certain set of frequencies that are created. Your middle finger has to stay suspended. can't touch anything or else the sound just goes away completely. And your first finger has to hit at just the right spot for the ring to come out. If I go here compared to a half inch over, the sound quality changes just slightly. If my ring finger is too far back, I get some other frequencies that shouldn't be part of the sound. And that's just, what, a quarter inch back? I move it a quarter mm -hmm. inch up, and now that sound is there. So it's a, it's a large technical feat to learn tabla. It's not for the faint-hearted. And it's not one of these instruments where you can, like a piano, where you can just go over and touch it and it'll make sounds. You can touch the tabla, but they won't make the sound you like. You know, I tell my students that you have to have the right technique to get the sound, but you also have to find the sound in order to find the right technique. Because every drum also is different. Every drum rings in a, in a little bit different way, or it's, it's set up differently, or the sizes are just slightly. Everything is very slight. But that those differences make make all the difference in how the sound comes. I Lucky here, this is one of the best tabla I've ever owned that I brought with me tonight. And it just rings beautifully. But let me let me just go to the sounds of the, the baya, which is means left. And so this drum is also so unique in the way you have to hit it because your hand, if you're just setting your hand on the drum and it's flat on the drum, and I just, I keep my wrist in the back kind of down on the drum and I just lift my hand. That's the most basic sound the tabla make. Easiest sound you can make. But in order to make the next most prominent sound on the baya, you have to lift your hand, keep your wrist down, keep the back of your hand suspended while you loosen your fingers. Just completely loosen your fingers. It's kind of like uh, one hand clapping. I, I, I challenge my students. It's like your fingers have to be loose like when you clap with one hand. Right. So this is the sound of one hand clapping. But you have this loose finger but a tight back of your hand. And you have to you do that in order to get the sound of the baya, but not just to get the sound, but then to also manipulate it with the back of your hand, uh, the underside of, of your wrist. That part of your hand slides across the drum to change the sound and modulate the sound. Fantastic. So so that part of your hand modulates the sound 
and you can just slide it and you know do the scoop like that or you bring it up just a little bit and then push down a little and you start to get different notes the tabla is always tuned to a particular note so this is tuned to a c the baya is not always tuned and if i hit the baya it'll it'll go lower so let's say i tune up my baya tighten the straps up here a little bit get it a little higher now it's higher So the bias is constantly changing when you're hitting it. It's a it's a big drum. It doesn't necessarily stay, um, but I like to try to tune mine as best I can. Uh, when I'm playing like with the Karma Quartet uh, with Mad Cat, we play. I'll have like five different tablas, all different notes. Even though so much technique is focused on the tabla, the baya has this huge uh, uh, array of emotions it can emote because it has it has so much going on in terms of tone being able to move the tone and all of these things so basically there's two sounds gay and cut but gay or gay you know there's all the different ways you can say it yeah so in a class if we're in tabla class now what we'll learn is how to speak and how to play while we speak so, da da did he keep it? Da da do not da da did he keep it? Da da di not da da did he keep it? Da da do not da da did he keep it? Da da di not. If somebody's a beginner, they'll play like da da did he keep da da do not. And then I'll have more advanced players do exactly double of that. Da da did he keep it? Da da. So they're both doing that at the same time and then sometimes the even more advanced students will come in and we'll say something like now try and just play with that articulation instead and so the way that you're speaking is what you're playing and so this practice in this study is very focused and very skill-based. Tabla is really, if you, as any kind of musician, want to learn how to develop your skills, Tabla provides you with a plethora of them that you need to master before you can make these good sounds. Yeah. I'll say this, every time I play a gig with Madcat, where when we do a duet, Peter Madcat Ruth, mm -hmm. I play duets with him. And I do a lot of bio work when I'm, it's just the two of us and we don't have a bass player. So I play a lot of bass line with my bio. I'll be like, I do that on. While he's playing a boop, 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 boop. I'll play a, a bass line like that and keep it going. When we're done, just about every show that we're done with, I'm like, thank God my bio worked. <laughs> but it worked today. And, you know, we were listening to the show we did at the Ark. There was supposed to be this uh, this section where I play a melody with my baya 
Uh, if I hit with my tabla hand on my baya, I get this whole other set of frequencies. So if I'm playing, I can go like. the same drum but I get like a, a octave higher right so I was supposed to play this song called dandelion wine and I was having a tabla solo in it and we decided at rehearsal that I would play the melody so at the arc at the show it, it just wasn't there like I, it wasn't happening so I had to change course in my tabla solo and do something t completely different and yeah so is that agonizing maddening I, I'm just feel blessed when it works and if it's humid out, it can go out the door. If it, if the sun hits these black dots on the tabla, it, it, it can just pop it. I mean, it can, if it's too cold or if I spent too much time in the car and brought it in and had to play, then that can cause a problem. Mm -hmm. Humidity is the biggest one. How humid is the room, is the air, is the... If you get on stage, especially bigger stages that have big lights, if the lights are on full bright, the drum will heat up, you know. You can't have it full bright on the on the 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 tabla because they got this black dot in the center that just absorbs heat. And so there's uh, all of these factors make a difference. Why don't we listen in now to the improvised piece that John did here in the subterranean playground? Well, it's time once more to pull down the faders and say goodbye from the subterranean playground. As always, thanks so much for listening in. We'll be back in a few weeks' time 
with yet another positive, inspiring tale involving music and the power thereof. Until next time, peace. Tales from the Subterranean Playground is produced and brought to you by Immersify Recording Services, LLC. <laughs>